said by Millard Mickey Drexler, who I met for the first time minutes before. Are you from the Bronx, I asked. I'm from the Northeast, Barnes and Arno Avenues, Mickey answered. You're kidding, which building? The Mayflower, he said. That's unbelievable. That's my building. We tried to figure out why we hadn't met when we were kids. The Mayflower has 96 apartments. That's a lot of people. But the age difference, I'm 11 years older, was probably the biggest factor. When I was in high school, Mickey was a toddler. That age gap disappeared completely when we talked nonstop like long-lost friends at dinner time, deciding that it would be fun to go back to the Mayflower together. So a few months later, we went, new buddies revisiting our old building. Alan, Mickey's cousin, and a few of Mickey's longtime friends from the neighborhood came with us. It had been well over 50 years since either Mickey or I had lived in the Mayflower, and 30 years since I had last visited. Would Mickey be able to see his old apartment? No, no one answered the doorbell when he rang. What did the Mayflower look like now, same with our grown-up sensibilities? On the outside, the same as ever, a six-story tan and brown brick building taking up half a city block. Mickey, chairman and CEO of J. Crew, led the way inside, the rest of us following. The lobby looked stark, a big contrast to my upscale Manhattan apartment building with its lobby furniture, area rugs, and walls hung with art. The simple Mayflower interior served as a pointed reminder of the unexpected turns my life had taken. Still, I felt totally at home seeing the familiar, worn terrazzo stairways and floor of the old building, which triggered vivid childhood memories. Energetic girl on a rainy day running and jumping in the hallways, bouncing a ball, noises echoing, typical working-class Bronx Jewish first-generation kid, me. I clearly saw and heard myself as a ten-year-old girl again, tossing my beloved Spalding ball. Mickey and I began comparing notes about our families and our oh-too-small apartments. I was fascinated by his stories, of his Aunt Frances and how she became his renegade role model of how when he attended the Bronx High School of Science, he first started getting knowledge of lives different from his own, lives where some kids even had their own bedrooms, and where the family expectation was that the children, without a doubt, would go to college. Standing with Mickey, a picture of confidence and success in our shop-worn surroundings, both of us excited about comparing stories about our past, started me wondering about other interesting and accomplished people from the Bronx. What were their stories? What were their childhoods like? Who influenced them? How did they find a place for themselves in the larger world, the one beyond their own Bronx neighborhoods? The idea for Just Kids from the Bronx was beginning to hatch. I started out cautiously by interviewing only friends, Mickey was among the first kids I talked with. 
Two longtime pals of mine, the producers Martin Bregman and David Yarnell, were also delighted to be included in my project. Regis Philbin, both a friend and a wonderful storyteller who lives down the hall from me in our Manhattan building, eagerly said, I'll be happy to talk to you. I had a great childhood in the Bronx. The enthusiasm they all showed for the project, along with the comic adventures described in those initial interviews, launched this book. Friends then recommended friends and acquaintances, mentioned names they had recognized but didn't know personally. Did you talk to so-and-so? I knew my growing helter-skelter list of names excluded many who were worthy and interesting, which meant this book was not to be a comprehensive history of all the great people of the Bronx.